welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, how you doing? I'm doing all right. You're doing okay. Well, okay. few things. All First right. off, my allergies are killing me today. Killing you. I, and I don't know why. I don't know what I did. I don't think there's anything I did. Yeah, my th- <laughs> right, yes. I don't <laughs> think uh, this is a consequence of, of your actions. I think my theory... Um, is that there's been a, uh, a slight change in weather here in California, as there always is this time of year. Uh, yeah, very slight. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, snows everywhere but else, I s- but here it gets a little cooler. I say I don't know what I did, because usually, like, if I clean my apartment, mm. it'll irritate, you know, right. if I'm dusting and stuff. But I did that yesterday, and uh, for some reason today is the bad day. Well, you know, maybe it's a delayed reaction and it was very windy today maybe maybe it's sort of like there you go kicking stuff it's up kicking out there up the dust you yeah know? and of course you were out riding your bike today all day i was not oh okay i well, didn't leave the apartment until you came to pick me up today that is sad no that's not it's not it feels later than it is but anyway um okay so a few things well you know you you had other things to say well on the the other reasons that i'm happy and unhappy have to do with uh oh, okay. what happened on tuesday okay um, well, f- okay, first things first, uh, thanks to Jen Kirkman for being on the show last week. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the conversation. And congratulations to her for being featured in Entertainment Weekly as one of the 12 comics to watch. Uh, it's, uh, it's very exciting. And, yeah. David, you know, it's just it continues our pattern of breaking comedians, you know, uh, not breaking them down emotionally. I just mean, like, you know, Wyatt Snack comes on the show, boom, Daily Show. Jen Kirkman comes on the show, Entertainment Weekly. So you think, we put the episode up Sunday night. Yeah. You think the people at Entertainment Weekly heard it. Yeah. Researched her, contacted yeah. her, got took her a, together took a with- picture along with 11 oh, other comedians. Ele- got all, them all together. Right. And got the, uh, and it came in, by the time I was home from work on Thursday, I had my issue of Entertainment Weekly. Okay. So you're saying in four days, it went from our our podcast to the- her picture being in my mailbox. Well, here's the thing. It may not have actually been the appearance itself, because you're right. It's a little far-fetched, but here's here's what may have happened. Jen Kirkman, because, you know, it had been on the books for a little while, she may have contacted somebody maybe a couple weeks ago and <laughs> said, like, hey, by the way, you know, maybe talk to her agents or something and said, hey, I'm Sunday I'm going to be doing uh, Battleship Pretension. And the agent's like, Really? Well, this thing has done wonders for Wyatt Snack, your buddy. <laughs> I'm going to call Entertainment <laughs> Weekly. I know they've they had a they had a feature, eleven comedians to watch. That's gonna that's gonna bump it up to twelve. So uh, so yeah, so congrats to her. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're feeling kind of I'm feeling kind of silly today, David. How about you? I guess well, I'm I'm just feeling like uh, my eyes feel like I've been crying all day. Oh, all right. Which Much I have like Jesse Jackson on Tuesday. Yeah. So. I cried a little bit today. Okay. Because I finally got around to watch. It's been sitting on my DVR for a month, the first episode of this season of CSI. It was, it was a tearjerker. <laughs> oh, and he's not joking. Um, well, anyone who's been following what's happening on CSI, which among our listeners and people <laughs> in the Venn diagram of people listening to and recording the podcast, I think there's one okay. person who has seen CSI who has been following CSI, and that's me. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um. Oh, and I, oh, speaking of crying, we'll get to the election in a second. Okay. Uh, I saw a great movie yesterday. What movie uh, was that? A documentary called Dear Zachary that is, oh, oh, 
It's I, heartbreaking. Oh, it sounds heartbreaking. I remember reading this. I'm like, this is gonna. I can't watch this on a ca- like a casual Friday or something. Just like, like, oh, hey, let's go see a movie. What's this, dear Zachary? Like, it's something you need to prepare yourself for. I could tell. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to mention that because I cried like a baby. D- well, Ugh. it stands to reason. Anyway, so the election. Yes, the election. What did you do Tuesday night? What did I? Well, here's here's what I did Tuesday. Because I have I work at a very uh, politically minded place so much so that on uh, the night of um, of debates they let us go a couple hours early huh. so that we could be sure to get home and watch it. Um, I I was the only one at the o- no no I think a couple people at the office had all day off on Tuesday. Yeah, um, the office itself had a half day so that you could be sure and you know yeah. uh, go and vote. And uh, so I had all day off on Tuesday. Uh, Jen and I went to uh, our polling place, which was at a Jewish synagogue and school. Excuse me. Uh, just just like a mile away. Maybe even less than that. It was within walking distance. It was really great. We walked over. There was no lines. We were in and out in like 10 minutes. But what was neat was... Uh, we walk in just as, as I said, this is a, a, a synagogue and school. So we walk in just as a teacher, because, you know, it's a Tuesday, school's in session. A teacher is bringing her kids, these kids must have been seven or eight years old, brings them into the polling place to show them the process of voting. And, uh, and it was adorable. These kids, like, had, like, you could tell earlier, because today it's, it's going to be all about the election. You can tell that these kids, uh-huh. they had an assignment, which was draw the flag. <laughs> and uh, so these kids had, like, you know, in crayon on these pieces of paper, and they're carrying them around with them, like, these, these, uh, these pictures of the flag that they drew in crayon. And it was absolutely adorable. Um, so Jen and I voted, and, uh, and then basically came back here. Uh, we watched, we chose that day to watch... Uh, so with the wet for those that don't know with the west wing which is what i've been watching uh-huh. um there's the main story but they did an episode that is not part of the storyline it's it's its own thing and they did it in response to september 11th and so jen and i decided we were going to watch the whole series and not watch that because it's not crucial to watch that to the storyline okay and we would watch it afterwards so we watched that on election day and then the rest of the time we were just watching you know results come in and and all that and it was uh it was a lot of fun and what's neat is uh after it was over we still had most of the night <laughs> yeah that's the fun thing about the about the west coast watching yeah. watching the oscars or watching election results you <laughs> you're done pretty early you can right. still you can still go out and drink yeah which is what i did yeah uh after uh well here's what i did on tuesday uh i voted and uh went to work and then um yeah i was watching results and here's the thing <clears throat> i was an obama supporter yeah but not an Obama fanatic. Uh, yeah. Um, and so I didn't really feel as emotional about it going in as a lot of people did. Right. By the time it happened, it I I can't ex- I can't describe what came over me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I it, it I felt like the full weight I think of 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 what had happened. You yeah. know, th- this is momentous you know we've yeah, elected mean, a, an african-american president yeah this is not Halle berry winning the oscar <laughs> where you know it, it's like oh well this is the first time this is a this is a huge thing um and it's uh and yeah jen and i we both got a little emotional especially was there a specific channel you were watching 
no, I, I was I was with people and they were jumping around a lot. I was trying to uh-huh. I was with liberals. Okay. And I was trying to keep him off of MSNBC. Okay. Because I can't abide that. Now, what is the, what is the deal with MSNBC? What is that? They're I, I don't trying cable, to restructure so. themselves into being the liberal Fox News. Oh, okay. Uh, and so they've got Keith Olbermann. Keith Olbermann. Who, I'm of two minds about Keith Olbermann. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think he's uh, in um, in the bad uh, category. He's um, too. Uh, strident and uh, preachy, and he makes he makes uh, mountains out of molehills okay. uh, to try and make liberals look good and conservatives look bad. On the other hand, he wears a pink tie very well, and I respect that in a man. Okay, I've always thought that I might be a guy who could pull off a pink tie, but I've never tried. Well, I'm looking at your purple shirt, and I believe it. Yeah, I I, I do I do well in the purple shirt. So um, anyway, um, we'll get to movies eventually. Yeah. Um, Hey, this is important. Come on. It's yeah, all right. exactly, exactly. Uh, so here's the deal. Liberals, Democrats, like myself, have been so beaten down over the past eight years in the past two elections. Yeah. I didn't believe it was happening until they <laughs> said uh, Senator McCain has called Senator Obama and conceded. Right. That's I Literally, I saw the electoral votes. I saw Pennsylvania, Florida, Ohio go. I did the math in my head, being right. like, this is... Clearly, he's going to get the electoral votes. Uh, I saw at 8 o'clock CNN call it for Barack Obama, and I did not really, truly believe it until uh, they said Senator McCain has called Obama and conceded. And then I just like – I was like, oh, my God. And I like I watched I watched the concession speech and then immediately just like called everyone I knew. The uh, people, I, I got that call. Yeah, yeah, I called you. I called people in St. Louis and in Boston. I texted my friend in Ireland. I was just <laughs> like, I, I want. I felt like the greatest New Year's Eve ever. Um, yeah, I, uh, I myself, it just, it didn't sink in simply because it didn't take all night. You know what I mean? Like, it's like it's not an election until unless it goes until tomorrow at least. Yeah. Like, just that's what I've been used to the last uh, eight years, and. Um, but yeah, uh, Jen and I watch CNN because we don't have cable, but we do get CNN. And um, and there's a, a commentator who is uh, he's African American. His name's Roland Martin, and he's kind of a feisty type guy. Uh-huh. Uh, I I like him, and uh, and so you see, uh, and of course CNN has their panel of commentators throughout. Some are liberals, some are uh, conservative, um, some are holograms, some are oh, good lord. <laughs> Anyway, um, did you manage to catch Will I Am the hologram? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, but uh, Will I Am should only appear in hologram form from now on. I think he probably will <laughs> at this point because I'm sure he thinks that he uh, made the president. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's like the emperor. But um, <laughs> so uh, so after after like it was official and it said Barack Obama elected president. Um, you know, it showed, and honestly, I really missed Chicago because uh-huh. uh, it kept showing Grant Park. And I'm like, Grant Park, that's where I shot some of my films, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And um, and uh, it just shows all that footage. It doesn't show the commentators. It just shows people crying and excited. And then Anderson Cooper, sa- first person he goes to is Roland Martin because, of course, you know, he may be a commentator, but he's also an African-American and a, an Obama supporter. But 
this was a, an historic day for him. And, and you hear, that's the thing. You don't see it. You hear that he is choked up and he's, yeah. but not in a, not in a big way or anything like that. He's trying to compose himself, but he can't. And it's like, oh, and, and that, I think that's what set me off. And it's certainly what set Jen off is just when, when the commentators themselves yeah. can't hold it back, but not in the same way as Walter Cronkite talking about Kennedy's assassination. This is, they're, they're happy. They're excited. Yeah. You know, and they can't, they can't stop the, the flood of emotion. And, uh, and yeah, it was historic. And of course, uh, my, uh, my celebration was short lived. Because, of course, I have spent the last several days uh, on Facebook uh, commenting on the status of old of old friends and acquaintances who are no who are still very conservative and uh, have definite things to say. And uh, and it's frustrating. Well, my my joy was incredibly short lived because maybe this is just the sort of pessimistic person I am. Yeah. I couldn't be happy about it for very long when I realized that Prop 8 was going to pass here in California. And we'll go, I, I mean, not obviously not all our listeners live in California. But right. but it's getting a lot of national press as well. So Yeah, it's um, essentially uh, making gay, gay marriage illegal again in yeah. California. And, and I it's, tell you. It's infuriating to me. And it's it's also completely surreal to me. I was just like standing on the bus the other day and thinking about it. And I feel like. I feel like I've I've gotten into some time machine mm-hmm. where now like I have some sort of insight into what uh, and I don't want to make the comparison too you know too uh too grandly but uh I have some sort of insight into what it was like to be uh a white person alive during like Jim Crow times because mm. now I'm a straight person alive at a time when American citizens are being denied equal rights yeah for no good goddamn reason um yeah it's uh and i'll be honest like it it really speaks to how insulated i am as far as like living in la i thought there was no way it was going to pass i I certainly but it passed even in los angeles county which is very shocking to me it's insane yeah Um, who are these people because i mean I, i mean I had heard theories that I will not put forth here because... Yeah, but, uh, you know, my mom, conservative, McCain, voted for McCain. When I talked to her about gay marriage, she was like, yeah, I'm fine with gay marriage. Yeah, um, I'm, you know... Uh, so who are these people? Yeah, I, I won't, I won't if, go into it on, but I'm the, saying uh, if, on the cast. If, if, if red state Christian working moms like my mom, yeah, you know, normal... Like sort of quintessential Republican types. Yeah. Uh, if they're not that concerned about gay marriage, who is so concerned? Yeah, and I know I'm probably going to get some emails for this, but like, I vote no. Is voting no is uh, that was the good one? That was the good one. Okay, that's what I that's what I vote. That was the humane thing. Well, it's okay. Yes, okay, <laughs> but I know a lot of people who voted yes. Um. And uh, I wound up, you know, having not even so much a debate with them. I mean, it's it doesn't come from uh, it doesn't come from a, a hateful place, regardless of what people may think. Um, but a lot of it comes from just certain. I'm not gonna. I'm not. Uh, I know these are your friends, so I'm not gonna necessarily let that pass by because okay. it may not be an active hate, but it's um, it's bigotry. 
Well, here's the there's thing. no other. Here's the thing. I'll let you talk in a second. Okay. I want to say this one thing. I I I consider myself a pretty moderate and pretty open-minded mm. liberal. You know, I understand points of view on all sorts of things on, ca- on 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 capitalism and globalization and all all kinds of. I understand and I respect the point of view, mm-hmm. and I understand that there's differences of opinion. Right. When it comes to equal rights for gay people, there's no there, there's no two sides of the story. Mm-hmm. One is right and one is wrong. And see what they what. Uh Let's see who was I. Well, I'm not going to say his name. Okay. <laughs> who was I talking? Oh, that guy. And here's his address. Um, the uh, you know, and he was talking about uh, he is from Massachusetts, uh-huh. and where it is legal and has been for several years. Yeah. And his thing is that there are several churches there that have been sued, and are and are in danger of losing their uh, nonprofit status because they are being labeled as a hate group because they will not let, like, for example, they won't let homosexuals get married in their specific church. And so, like, that... Well, that's a different issue, though. It's a different issue, but, like, you know, he had that in his mind, and so that's what... Because it's like, oh, well, it could just be all these, you know, a slippery slope, as they they say. And so, don't get me wrong, I... But, no, you need to address the problem at hand there because there... a religion, a church has every right to deny uh, a right to whoever they want mm-hmm. because you, uh, no one has to be a member of that church. That's true. They c- they can just leave, and, and the church and the government are separate for that very reason. Right. And so was- I understand your friends, uh, your friend being concerned about that. Right. But that's a separate issue. And it's it's yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is what I what I have been saying is that that you know there is a. Like if the, if I if I had voted yes, the only reason my, for voting yes would have been a spiritual reason, and why I shouldn't necessarily be bringing that into my voting. I hate to put it that way. I, mean, I think you're right. You know, you can, you know, this country can be whatever we want it to be. So I I could do that, but I don't think I should do that. And so, um, and as it turns out, that you know, I was talking with some friends and. In my view, the slippery slope can go the other way as well. And it's like, oh, you're protecting marriage, so are we going to soon make it that a person has to prove infidelity if they're going to get divorced? Because uh-huh. from a biblical standpoint, that's really the only reason. And uh, so, like, so yeah, like, once once you start going that route, you somebody might want to go all the way with that route and get really extreme with it. And so, yeah, so I voted, I voted no, and... Uh, and I and I didn't I certainly didn't expect to be in the minority on that, and it it passed by a substantial margin, right? I mean, not. Uh, I mean, like I it, thought it was it was like fifty something, fifty three to forty seven okay. or something, fifty two to forty eight. Enough, enough to well, yeah, to give me yeah. to make me concerned. But uh, let's talk about movies. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> I did have I did have an interesting uh, uh, transition. Okay. So when McCain conceded, and first off, I think his speech was great. Um, uh, his his supporters could have been a little more well behaved. I agree, and um, but yeah, I liked the speech too. When he left, when when the speech was over, and he was walking off, and he was waving to people and all that, the music that was playing. Do you know what it was? No, Crimson Tide. Really? Which, given the situation, is kind of. Interesting and funny and funny. Yes, yeah. I started laughing because it's and honestly, like 
that that music, I mean, it's it's Hans Zimmer. It's not exactly subtle, but I've always loved the music from Crimson Tide, uh-huh. and and it really, I mean, it just and it gave the impression of this of McCain as like this titan who unfortunately didn't win, but he's going to honorably go right off into the sunset. But um, but I also am just like, oh, isn't that the one where there's uh, the charismatic black guy and the older reactionary white guy and they're basically <laughs> butting heads at all time <laughs> and uh so it struck me as interesting so yeah. that's that's my transition into movies today. into movies okay yeah. but not into the specific topic right but let's get into it shall we absolutely uh this one's your baby tyler why don't you uh all right so i was talking with uh my friend scott who is in town from chicago um and we just started talking about there's a there's a term that I have heard thrown around, and it's not just a movie term. It can be sure, used yeah. in sports, uh, really anything, um, and that is, excuse me, that is the term journeyman. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I never, for a long time, I didn't really know, excuse me, what it meant. And uh, so, Scott and I were talking about it, and found that when it came to when it came to actors. The term journeyman was fairly easy to define, um, though not as easy as say, as simply saying character actor because it's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, then we started talking about journeyman directors and then journeyman writers, which is uh, probably we're, we're probably not going to wind up talking about that because a journeyman writer, I can't really think of one because yeah. I can think of maybe two because a journeyman writer doesn't bring a lot to a he does what sure. he's supposed to do but that's what that's the idea of what a journeyman is is it's it's a uh an artist or you know i've heard journeyman baseball player who doesn't do anything amazing but he gets the job done you know um yeah and so it's, it's someone who with a with a with a great mastery of the craft mm-hmm. but not necessarily uh a sort of unifying vision or you know an artistic uh Vision, yeah, yeah. Vision sounds good, um, and uh, <laughs> you look. I, I've, I've got a bigger vocabulary than this show is evidence of. <laughs> I, I think I get nervous about, it and, and then I, I. You get a little flustered, but that's all right. You know, it uh, it doesn't bother me, and uh, and you know, I mean, these uh, listeners, uh, whatever, they don't. Uh, you're doing better than them, I would say. Oh, certainly, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's. Uh, uh, but they'd be shocked to find how ch- how suave and charming I am and eloquent away from the podcast. That's true. He's he's a he's a charmer. Everybody, every time I uh, every time I talk to him off mic, of course, I just oh, I can't I can't help but get lost in his eyes. <laughs> anyway, um, but the uh, so it just got me thinking. Like what? I mean, you know, there is a very definite. You know, there is a, a definition of journeyman, but like, how does that apply to, for example? directors as and and in this episode in talking about that we are also going to talk about something that if you went to film school um or if you would just consider yourself a student of film you've probably run across it it's called the auteur theory and it's something you and i have not really talked a lot about Um, yeah and uh but i remember so i feel like that might be a good place to start because some people agree with it some people don't and uh well, let's let's. I'll throw. Well, it see, to now you. you're you not. You're springing this on me. Oh, I'm sorry. Because I think the auteur theory could get its own episode. 
Yeah, uh, it could, yes. And, uh, I mean, I thought we were just sort of going to run down a list of uh, oh, okay. journeyman directors here. We can do that. But, uh, I mean, the auteur theory is... We can t- we can touch on auteur theory and then may- maybe bring it up in a later in a later episode. Yeah, well, it essentially has to do with the idea that the, the director of a film is the film's auteur author. Right. And that his or her stamp is on every frame of the film and every aspect of it. Right. And... And with that, you know, that's a very, it's a very good definition. It's very succinct. And I imagine those who are not familiar with the auteur theory, having just heard your definition of it, can probably, a few directors are probably popping up in their heads right now. I sure. mean, you know, there's like Tim Burton, I'd say Michael Mann, uh, Scorsese, uh, I would say. Really, most of the directors that people know as directors. It's for that reason right. that they are uh, auteurs. And so I was uh, – so in, in discussing – but then, like, there's also – okay, so that – okay, so that's basically the auteur theory. I think you're right. That's something that deserves its own episode. So we'll talk about it another time. But it's important to to know that. To know yeah. that it exists so we can now talk about those who, who don't, don't fall in line with it, essentially. Right. And it's and, – and in discussing this with other people because I, I was just like, you know, people who – knew what they were talking about, like, at my work and stuff. I said, like, hey, this is some, this is a topic that I'm going to be talking about soon. What's your take on it? And it's interesting because there are successful, even Oscar-winning directors who are journeymen, who just, they turn out a solid product for the most part, but you wouldn't know, even if the, even among their own films. I mean, you, you certainly couldn't say, like... And, and the one that... Uh, that people that I that I would say like the the quintessential modern journeyman director is uh, Ridley Scott. Okay. And uh, and that's one that when when a fr- when this uh, coworker first threw it out there, my first instinct is like, well, no, no, I I, I don't agree because you know it's like I, I uh, his work is memorable and all that kind of thing, and it is, but. I mean, would you like who would anybody watch Matchstick Men and think, oh, this is the same guy that directed Thelma and Louise or Black Hawk Down or Alien? You know, um, yeah, I'd say maybe earlier in his career, he might have been more of an auteur. Like if you look at Alien and Blade Runner, Blade you Runner, see a very yeah. and then even like even like Legend, um, you see kind of a kind of a visual motif. Um, but that has long since gone away. Yeah, no, I mean, I, he still has a penchant for sort of grandness yeah. uh, in his movies. Even, you know, I mean, uh, I didn't see the, uh, what was it, A Good Year? <laughs> one Good, what was it called? A Good Year, a good yeah, year. I didn't see that one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, even when something's like, even when one of his movies like Black Hawk Down is sort of gritty and sort of realistic, they're still in the framing and in the slow motion stuff, and they're, they're yeah. still like, very much the same grandness that he's it's it, and it's sort of a weird 80s leftover but he still seems to pull it off fairly well in, yeah i'd in, say that in, in some movies and then of course he made magic men which was terrible um <laughs> i'm just gonna be mean on the show from now on that, that's you, you know, know i was thinking back to last week's show for a second just let me just uh, yeah okay with with jen right? yeah when i was apparently in a mean mood yeah and I realized, uh, we did a, we did like uh, we talked about feminism, and in that episode, I talked shit about like a half dozen actresses. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Ma- you know, it turns out. Yeah, I didn't think in that episode I would be the one to seem more sympathetic. Um, 
But, anyway, uh, back, back to the topic. I just there's plenty of young actresses out there that I that I like much more than I like Penelope Cruz or uh, I can't remember who else I talk shit about. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, but I like her as an actress. Okay, uh, but she's anyway. just not doing her job. I like Anne Hathaway. I'll tell you that. Even right. though I talk shit about Devil Wears Prada. I have not seen Rachel getting married. I'm excited to see it. Neither have I. But um, but now and actually, you know what? I'll uh, maybe we'll get back to Ridley Scott. But you are a big fan of Jonathan Demme. Yeah. Now, oddly enough, my mind went to him when I thought of journeyman directors because I can't. Not that I've seen a lot. I, I guess I've seen a, f- uh, a good number of his films, but I can't really think of of a stamp that he puts on. You know, they were actually talking about this on the most recent episode of Never Not Funny, where it's like they were talking about Rachel getting married, and it's like, oh, this is Jonathan Demme's best film, and it's like. Has anybody been like clamoring? You know, it's like Spielberg. People like anticipate his next film and yeah. and all that, and and but, Scorsese. Uh, but like Jonathan Demme, I, I think he, I think he, he swings back and forth. I think if you watch certainly like Stop Making Sense and Something Wild, and then uh, you can even bring in like a uh, Beloved into mm-hmm. this conversation, and like he has this sort of. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? He, he he likes. I mean, he likes the Talking Heads, and he likes. Uh, he you know he's got this guy from TV on the radio in Rachel Rachel getting married. Mm. He's so he's he's got an interest in in uh, I guess avant garde pop music in okay. a way, and that sort of feel carries over into his films, especially something wild, which has a very sort of loose, almost improvisatory uh, feel to it. Mm-hmm. And and I and you can see that I think in a lot of his movies. And then, of course, he—I uh, mean—he also really likes black people. He's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that seems a weird way to say it, but I mean, there's a lot of black culture in his films. But then you think mm-hmm. of films like Silence of the Lambs, which doesn't really fit into any of that. So, it, yeah. And and of course, and Philadelphia doesn't really fit in. Yeah. But you can, uh, you can see some of his stuff come out when he does like uh, what was the one he did? Um, I always forget the name of it. The documentary about the Haitian guy oh the agronomist is that what it's called i think so yeah uh you know there's you know great use of music in there and that's obviously not african-american but it is you know a, another culture of color right and you see that you know and, and then his sort of his uh leftism comes through and stuff like manchurian candidate and, and in the agronomist I forgot, yeah he did the manchurian candidates i forgot yeah that. the remake yeah yeah yeah. he didn't do the original right um <laughs> that, was, that was frankenheimer i got you yeah <laughs> So I think Jonathan Demme's a, it's sometimes he's a he's a journeyman, sometimes he just uh makes a great movie like Philadelphia or Sounds of the Lambs, and then sometimes he makes more personal movies. And you know, and that I guess And that, there's another guy like that that I'll get to in a second. Okay. Um and that's I guess like you just brought something brought something up that you said it's like sometimes he's a journeyman, sometimes he makes great movies. J- journeyman directors can make consistently great movies. Like they're like it's going to sound like we're slamming them. You know, and I don't. Oh yeah, I don't want to sound like that at all. Yeah, I don't want to give the impression that we're saying like these are guys who are forgettable, and I don't think it's that. I think it's guys who approach each genre or each story, and will bend whatever their style is to suit the genre they're they're shooting in, so that you won't really find a lot of them. Like another, like one of my favorite directors is also a guy who. I would say is is a journeyman and uh, like part of me I feel like I'm like it's sacrilege to say it 
but there's nothing wrong with being a solid journeyman director, and he's won an Oscar, which is John Huston. Yeah. Um, like, he's a guy, I mean, you look at, like, Maltese Falcon and then Treasure of the Sierra Madre, you look at Pritzi's Honor and just, and so many of his other films, and, like, stylistically, there's really not that, they don't have that much in common. Like, you know, if you'd seen the Maltese Falcon and then you saw um, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, I don't think you would know that it was the same guy that directed it. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, when you watch a Hitchcock film, you always know. If you've seen one and then watch another one, you're like, oh, that's clearly the same guy. Um, yeah, and then you could say the same of uh, certainly uh, Woody Allen and, yeah. and and Ingmar Bergman yeah. and, uh, uh, I don't know, Antonioni. Yeah, I mean... People, Fellini, definitely. Yeah, and like and Kubrick and, and uh, let's see. But this is all... Yeah, conversations we can have right for when we for do that episode. Auteur. But um but yeah, but I wanted to make it clear that like some of my favorite directors happen to be journeymen and, and I'd say John Houston most especially. Um that but that does not make them by any stretch of the imagination bad. They can still make compelling uh art. So, all right. I've been talking for a while. You had someone you wanted to bring up. I've got a few people, but I wanted okay. to, I just wanted to no, I, don't, I don't have to say anything at length about this, but here's a guy who's the perfect example of he does some movies as a journeyman and then some does some personal movies, and that's Philip Noyce. Oh, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, especially a couple of years ago when he had that sort of one-two punch mm-hmm. where he had Rabbit Proof Fence and uh, uh, The Quiet American. Yeah, just uh, hang on. That was Rabbit Proof Fence and The Quiet American. All right. Well, just, everybody, just, everybody saw Rabbit Proof Fence. <laughs> <laughs> People know what I'm talking about when I said every friends. <laughs> anyway, uh, but that of course, I mean, you look, you look at his resume, and he's got like he did like Clear and Present Danger, or one of those. Oh, <laughs> he yeah. did one of those, uh, one of the uh, lesser Jack Ryan films. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you see the? Okay. Side note: Did you ever see the Sum of All Fears? Yeah. What'd you think? Uh, it was all right. It was all right. I so expected to n- dislike it, and I wound up liking it a great deal. I'd say it's worth watching. I just thought it was all right. I'd say it's worth watching. Okay. All right, then. Speaking of Ben Affleck, though. Okay. And speaking of Keith Overman, as I were was earlier. Okay. Did, did you see that Ben Affleck on SNL? No, I didn't. As Keith Overman? No, I, I heard uh, that it wasn't very good. Oh, I, maybe I just love it. I guess it's kind of funny, but it was mostly just he does such a good impression that I had no problem watching it for eight and a half minutes. Oh, okay. Is he just loud and overbearing? And yeah. Okay. It's awesome. Well, and that's the thing. I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen Keith Oberman speak. I'm sure I have, but, uh, but I, I wouldn't be able to identify a good impression of him. Uh, okay, but there's two things I want to talk about here. Okay, go ahead. Which is, um, it's easy to confuse when you're talking about sort of auteurs. Uh, it's 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 easy to get caught up in the idea of genre and the idea of people working in the same genre and therefore being sort of auteurs, right? Because um, another a director that I love is John Dahl, yeah, who made Red Rock West and he made Rounders, yeah, and he made uh, The Last Seduction and yeah. uh, You Kill Me. I didn't see that. He did uh, uh, Joyride. Joyride. He made, um, and so he definitely works in sort of the. What you would what you would think of like is the B movie realm, you know? He's got Absolutely. these sort of like noir movies or like thrillers, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, but I wouldn't consider him much of an auteur. I think he's just a really great filmmaker. Yeah. Catherine Bigelow is the same way, and I love Catherine Bigelow. Okay, 
you know, she made Point Break yeah. and K-19, The Widowmaker and Near Dark and Strange Days. Uh, and th- these are both people who you can see sort of a thread in the type of projects that they take on. Right. But you can't, you shouldn't confuse that with auteur. And yeah. the flip side of that, do you have something to say about that? No, before we get to the, the flip side of that is I think it would be wrong to take a director who may be uh, very prolific and working different genres all the time mm-hmm. and just assume that he's a journeyman because because there's not an easy unifying theme. Okay. A great example of that is Michael Winterbottom. Okay. Where every movie he makes, you know, 24-hour party people and then The Claim and then, like, what he made, like, a movie called Go Now, which is, like, a disease of the week type of, like, okay. movie, but that's really good with Robert Carlyle. And he just, everything he makes is just something completely different. He made In This World, which is great. that yeah. Everyone should see. Uh, it didn't get a lot of, uh, I should put that on the website. That's a Did a he do uh, Tristram? I think he did Tristram Shandy, right? Which I never saw. But, oh, that's uh, great. That's what I hear. Um, and that's a guy who, yeah, because his movies are so wildly different yeah. from movie to movie, or, you know, at least in, in subject matter, yeah. uh, it would be easy to think of him as just a guy who, like a director for hire. But he's not at all. He's very involved in in, in all his projects. And, there's a, and you can see, uh, stylistically, you can see, um, uh, you know, there's always going to be like a rich, very rich color palette in his films. Mm-hmm. There's going to be sort of... Uh, impressionistic camera work if you will you know uh very sort of uh it's he he has to be he has the ability to be very loose loose seeming in his storytelling but with his story always moving forward i love michael winterbottom maybe we should that's a good profile maybe for the future that would be yes um so that's just what i wanted to talk about it's just the idea of of genre getting mixed up with with this yeah i mean there are some people like john Dahl. i would say just clearly he is more comfortable with working in as you say like the b-movie genre where like character is important but you're not going to be going too deep you know um and you know there's a lot going on with the situation the characters find themselves in and he just seems very comfortable working within that. Like he's really good at, at tension. Just uh, yeah, he is. But I also want his characters. He has good characters in his movies. And I think he does. He's, yes, he's yes. often involved in the screenwriting process, and I think he knows how to. I think he knows how to say, uh, say a lot with a little as far yeah. as the character goes. And he also, even though he works in these sort of uh, visceral like genres, you know, Joyride has a lot of car chases and stuff in it yeah he's a he's a good actor's director he gets he gets yeah. good performances subtle performances even out of, out of paul, paul walker, walker. yeah <laughs> and uh yeah that yeah that's a it's a good example because like he's good at he's he's good at getting uh, really solid performances out of actors with who whose characters don't yield very much like in joyride i really fe- first off i really feel like these two guys are brothers uh-huh. And secondly, I really feel like I get the relationship not just with each other, not just with each other, but with their family. You know, oh, like right. just the little, just the slight shorthand that like Steve Zahn has. You can just tell his relationship to the whole family, and it's you know, and that's the thing is that the actors aren't given lines like you know, I remember such and such. You know, where it's like, oh, here's a, oh, here's a a chance to really act hard because uh-huh. my character's talking about his past you know there's nothing like that but john Dahl, along with along with his actors are able to really get you from you know you feel like these are real people even in, in a crazy situation um and that actually brings up uh somebody else who i'm not sure if i would consider him a journeyman or an auteur 
but because when it comes to like a like visual styling uh-huh. or composition, I'm not I you know he I wouldn't say there's m- much there, but he is probably I would say the one of the best if not the best actors directors uh, out there, and that's Sidney Lumet. Oh, okay. Who he there's a guy who's worked in several different genres. I mean, he's done drama, he's done comedy. His films are always character driven. Uh-huh. Um and he's a great actor's director. Everybody knows it. Um but I'm not sure if I would say that he's an auteur simply because he's great with performances. He does do some and he does compositional things that are really interesting like in 12 Angry Men, but he he takes his cues from the performances. Like he does it in such a way as to enhance the performance. Yeah. And well, wh- what heard, do you think? Uh, I, I once heard someone saying this is maybe a little too easy, but it's sort of a good shorthand. Uh, if you can, uh, if you can watch 30 seconds of a film with the sound off and know who made it, that mm-hmm. person's an auteur. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so in, by that sense, it sort of narrows the definition a little bit, but I don't think Sidney Lumet would be an auteur. I think he, and, and this is, I'm glad that these sort of directors are coming up, that we're not just talking yeah. about people that, like John Dahl, I, mean, I love John Dahl, but like right. not everyone knows who he is, you yeah. know? But when people like Lumet, and we talked about, you talked about Frankenheimer before, yeah. and like William Friedkin of the same era, you oh, know? Yeah. Uh, these are big names, and so it, it helps our case that we're trying to say that we're not talking shit about someone because we call them a journeyman. Right. Just because... Uh yeah so yeah these are all great people who made great films yeah uh, and it's and it and that's the thing is like going into it, it's like oh well there's auteurs and then there's journeymen our auteurs are clearly above and this and I guess this is why I wanted to talk about the the auteur theory a little bit here is some people would say that a journeyman is a better director because he does what the story requires whereas like an auteur takes whatever the story is and insists that it be what he wants it to be. Like, yeah, like I, I don't think, I don't think anyone's better than the other. I think you got, you've had, you have bad examples in both. Yeah. I mean, you could easily make the case that Guy Ritchie is an auteur, but that yeah. doesn't mean that he's a better director <laughs> than Sidney Lumet. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, yeah, it's, uh, and then I'm trying to, like, there are some that I would say, cause we've so far, we've talked about journeymen who are just great who are just like mm-hmm. great directors their films are memorable but just because but mostly because they're great films not because of a certain flourish or something like that but like there are journeyman directors out there who just get solid work but like you know i gore verbinski for example is uh-huh. one i can think of who he works consistently he turns out up until the <laughs> the latter two uh pirates movies i would say he turns out pretty consistently good stuff but like i'm trying to think i've seen the ring in the first pirates movie i never saw the mexican i did and i saw the weatherman and oh, right. uh I've, I've seen way more gorbaminsky films than i thought but um but yeah like he really seemed like ridley scott he's a name people know him and uh and he's got his own production company and stuff like that like gorbaminsky he seems like the type of director that like the studio is like we should get Gore Verbinski because, you know, he's a solid director and he'll do what we need him to do. But, like, I don't think anybody would say, like, oh, we've got to get Gore Verbinski so this can be a Gore, Gore Verbinski film, you know, yeah. or anything like that. Like, even with Ridley Scott or Sidney Lumet or something like that, 
who journeymen though they may be, studios still it's like oh someone could be like oh Ridley Scott that's enough to get me into the theater. But like there are people like Gore Verbinski and like F Gary Gray, you know, and stuff like yeah. that who just you know they're James Mangold is another one I'd say Taylor Hackford who you know I mean Taylor Hackford even has you know uh, Oscar nominations but yeah. like. You know, uh, Gary Ross. I mean, I like James Mangold. I like him, too. Yes. Yes. But and I guess I guess now what with Walk the Line and three and three ten to Yuma, he is starting to become a a bit more of a of a name. But I'd say that for the most part, like. I don't know, I'm not sure if I would put him on the same level as like a like a Ridley Scott. Right. Um, But yeah, it's like right now, like. But I'm, what, what I was saying th- about James Mangold is that his name is becoming enough to get me into a theater, maybe. Okay. All right. Because, uh, I mean, I, I mean I, I'm i one of those – I know you are, too, one of those few people who liked Copland. Uh, that's true. Um, yeah. Did you ever see Heavy that he made with uh, uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince? Is that – No. Am I saying I those in night order? Uh, I think Pruitt was, Taylor Vince, yeah. Okay. And uh, Debbie Harry's in it. No, I didn't see it. It's a good movie. Is Pruitt Taylor Vince the lead? Yeah. I'm there. <laughs> I'm, I mean, come on. Um, yeah, it's uh, – I don't know. And I feel like we could probably – because the term journeyman can also go to actors as well. I didn't necessarily want to keep it just to directors. But was there anything else that that you – before I move along to that, because this episode is going shockingly fast. Um, well, because we spent 20 minutes. I guess that's it, yes. About, uh, but uh, – did you have any? any oh, other I wasn't ready. To... I wasn't ready to move on to actors. Oh, okay. I, I'm no, not going to have anything fine. to say about actors, so that's oh, pretty okay. much going to be yours. Well, let's let's keep anyway. it to directors for a few more minutes. Um, well, I, I guess I wanted to talk about. Um, well, I also wanted to just drop one more name, Robert Benton. Uh, oh yeah, is a very uh, good journeyman director. But um, uh, I noticed that it, and when when I thought of Robert Benton, it, it occurred to me like that every pretty much everyone we've named as a journeyman has been an American director. That's true. And, and I'm wondering if foreign directors, if we maybe we don't get to know the journeyman as well because uh, they're just it doesn't pop up on our radar that oh this right. is the same guy you know or is uh, I mean certainly the auteur theory started in France it, are European directors specifically uh, more prone to just be auteurs? It seems to me that the idea of the journeyman director. I, you know, and this is just me, just uh, you know, spitballing, which is a term I don't like using. <laughs> I like but, it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but uh, it seems like a byproduct of the studio system, right? That where makes sense. they, where you know, because like European directors, I mean, granted there was there are studios there as well, but like, you know, a lot of them. Just re- especially, uh, I guess that's American too. Damn it, never mind. I was gonna talk about like silent comedies. I'm like, no, that's uh, that's in America. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but like, I mean, it really seemed to be art first, and so in, in Europe, and so it's like, you know, you would get really amazing work, and you al- you could always tell when it was Murnau or Eisenstein or one of the you know many other memorable directors that we think of now, but like. But you know the the, studi- the the Hollywood studio system cranked movies out, and it's like, well, we can't. Not everything can be directed by Griffith or even Buster Keaton or somebody like that. We're just going to need somebody to, who can just do what we need him to do quickly, efficiently, get the job done, and that's it. And then he and then that person does, 
And then it's like, okay, we've got something else. Let's get him again. And uh, it just, it seems like something that, it seems like something that comes out of practicality and expediency more than anything else. Yeah. Not to imply that that, that makes these directors bad, but the... Or that it made, I mean, look at uh, Casablanca. That's the yeah. perfect studio movie. Yeah. They hired... They they just got the best person they could get to direct, to write, right. to do the costume, to the cinematography. They got the people who were best, uh, among the best in each of their fields, yeah. and they all took care of their own shit, and they made an amazing movie. Yeah. So it's not the studio system is I think essentially bad. Yeah. But it, they made some good movies. And I and that's and it also like if you if like if you're a journeyman director like you just hope that you are. That you get contacted by the right producer because, you know, the producers like in Casablanca, like the producers, the one who basically realized like, okay, we got this script and this story. Let's assemble all these key elements. And he happened to put together amazing elements on every front. Yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, and it's odd that you actually bring up uh, Michael Curtiz because uh, when I was first having this discussion a few weeks ago with my friend Scott, uh, he brought him up and and that uh, you know him specifically because like what else has he done that uh, like I can't think of any other movies that he's directed I know he has but I can't think Adventures of, of Robin Hood okay all right that's okay that's big um, <laughs> but like he's not even I'm though i a blank on what else he's done right I mean even though he directed Casablanca one of the best movies of all time and everyone uh-huh. remembers it like when people think back to like great directors of that era his name doesn't really come up. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, and you know, and and a journeyman can absolutely flourish like uh like John Houston and still have a lot of uh, artistic cred. But yeah. um I'm all, I'm just sitting here racking my brain trying to think of a foreign journeyman and I can't really I'm having a hard time myself. Lasse okay. Hallstrom? Okay. I why well, would say but he's, he is. What do you think? But he's come over here. I mean, yeah, yeah. he wasn't before he came here. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a very American thing. Like maybe I don't know. I was gonna say Patrice Leconte, who made uh, the Man on the Train and Hairdresser's Husband and Intimate Strangers and stuff like that. But now that I think about it, you can see a lot of themes about age and gender in his films. Hmm. But that's just me talking out loud. <laughs> I'm yeah. not really. I mean, um, thinking out loud. You should talk out loud. Right? How else can you talk? That's from uh, State in Maine, directed by uh, uh, David Mamet. I'd say auteur. You can okay. always tell when he when he's made a film, good or bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I'm sure, I, you know, I'm sure you listeners at home, I imagine you're probably punching your computer cause you can, you instantly thought of a foreign director who's absolutely a journeyman and you're like, these are, I, why do I listen who to Who is still show? working in his or her right of country. Not it, someone who, like Lassa Hellstrom who came right, here right. and made the shipping news. He sure did, didn't he? <laughs> and let's not forget, uh, an unfinished life. Um, but uh, I, I had actually, yeah, I had forgotten it. <laughs> uh, su- surprisingly good performance by Robert Redford. But anyway, I shouldn't say surprisingly. He's a, he's a solid actor, but uh, in that film, you'd be surprised that there's anything good in it. But um, now, as far as as far as journeyman actors, and the reason that I want to save this for the end is because it's you know it's nothing too groundbreaking. But you know, I remember when talking about the idea of a journeyman actor, somebody's just like, oh, char- uh, oh, so like a character actor. And it's like, you know what? No, there is a difference. Yeah. Like, a character actor is someone who, I mean, I certainly would not consider, like, Peter Lorre a journeyman actor. 
No, yeah. It's you know what I mean? Like Yeah, that'd be like I mean you Christopher Walken's a character actor, but he's not a journeyman. Absolutely not. You know, whereas somebody like I mean, you have to go you have to go somewhere between like bit player and character actor to find your journeyman actor who is always going to be good. Always going to be good. But a uh, journeyman actor is also not necessarily... Like, when, you, when you think of the term character actor, you think of someone who's not a lead. Right. But you get... I mean, uh, I mean, to the two like guys who leap directly to my mind are Gene Hackman and Robert Duvall. Uh, and those are leads. I suppose. And, yeah, and I guess, you know, and I always think of them as character actors because they, they tend to get character roles. Uh-huh. But yeah, but I'd say they, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess a journeyman actor can be uh, a leading actor as well, now that now that you mention it. Um, just somebody who will come in, absolutely do what the character requires, Yeah, um, you know, like Duvall does, who can play anything, you know, um, and then and then he leaves. And like, he's never showy about it. He's never a showy actor. Not at all. Robert Duvall. Because if he was showy, then... Then you'd be like, "Oh, it's Duval doing, his, you know." Yeah, like you are with Christopher Walken, or Pacino, or, or yeah, you know. or increasingly Alec Baldwin, but in a good way. In, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just started watching. Do you watch Thirty Rock? I forget. I've seen it here and there. Okay, I just just today I started watching the third, uh, no, third or fourth season. I forget um, online, and uh, it's solid, and he's solid in it. It's really worth watching. It, it's a good show in general, but he is uh, transcendent. Um, but I would say like, like good journeyman actors or somebody like, uh, like James Rebhorn. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's always good. He's always good. There's no question about it. And granted, he's always kind of himself. So, I mean, in that way, you know, he doesn't exactly lose himself in the character. For people who don't know, it's Dickie's dad from Talented Mr. Ripley. Right. The prosecutor from the last episode of Seinfeld. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. For those that have seen Scotland, PA, he yeah. plays Duncan, and uh, you know somebody like that. And now, I'm going to go out on a limb. Okay, I'm going to throw this out there. All right, loyal listeners know about my feelings for Will Patton, uh-huh. and I'm starting to not necessarily come around, but in my head, I realize he is a journeyman actor, not a character actor. Yeah. And now that I've able, and because I was thinking about this uh, like a week and a half ago, and I had like this weird epiphany, and I realized that uh, it's just that I was classifying him wrong. He was getting, granted, he's getting parts that a character actor could probably do more with. Okay. But, and that's why he's never, why I could say he's never bad, but he's never great either. He always just gets in and does what he's got to do. Okay. To me, I'd say he's. Now, you all, I know I've always been a little bit of a defender of him. Whenever you go on, your, absolutely. But we've absolutely. we had this conversation before. I just right. always, I always bring up the Rapture and I bring up Jesus' son, right? And uh, and, and Trixie, and he's perfectly fine in all of them, you know. Um, and that's and now and once I made that little switch in my head, it's like he's not a character actor. Character actors are, I would say, more interesting in what they do. Uh-huh. He is a journeyman actor. He will go in, play the part. Straight, as you say, not he's not showy, except uh-huh. maybe in the Postman, which, in which he's got a character part. But yeah. um, he goes in, gets the job done, and does a a pretty solid job, but still not remarkably memorable. That's why when I bring him up to other people, they don't remember him. But when you jog their memory, they're like, "Oh yeah, he was good," you know. 
So, yes. So, listeners, I've kind of come around on Will Patton because of the idea of him as a journeyman actor. So, all right. So I feel like uh, I feel like I'm in a good place with him now. Well, we could do this all day. Talk yeah. about because we could we went from directors to actors, but I could I could go on at length about journeyman cinematographers. I, like I have no doubt of that. You know, because yeah. there are certainly people like uh, you know right, like Robert Richardson, yeah. uh, you know, or or Matthew Liebatik who are you know putting their stamp on something. Yeah. But then you got guy a guy like uh, Jack Green who is becoming more and more my favorite working cinematographer today. Uh, and you might know him from Mystic River. Oh yeah. Uh, but he also did Serenity, and he does. Hmm. Uh, he did My Best Friend's Girl, <laughs> that <laughs> recent oh, movie. Man. Speaking of Alec Baldwin, uh, I'll say this: Jack Green. Nothing. No offense to him, <laughs> but if he's a journeyman cinematographer, even his name says, "Forget me." Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, uh, you don't need to know who I am. Um, yeah, he's not like uh, Janusz Kaminski, who I would say is oh, is yeah. not a tour cinematographer. To his. To his detriment, like what he did with the latest Indiana Jones, it should not have been done. <laughs> that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds wrong, but it's, uh, but yeah, and that's the thing is with cinematographers, I have, you know, I mean, I know, I know of the the auteurs, I couldn't name any journeyman journeyman cinematographers. But uh, well, anyway, we should, uh, yeah, we and I'm not going to bring up. up writers either because aside from David, I never know how you say his last name. Kep. Kep. I don't know if that's how you say it, but yeah. I knew exactly which David you were talking Absolutely, about. Absolutely, <laughs> because it's just, you just keep seeing his name pop up on things. Yeah. But, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah. If it's a big blockbuster in the last 15 years, he might have been one of – he's never – yeah. he is a sole writer. He's one of the writers involved as opposed Wait, to like – Has he ever teamed up with Akiva Goldsman? Because <laughs> <laughs> – Absolutely. That's – that needs to happen, and those are the, like the two biggest name paycheck <laughs> writers. I feel like I'm being insulting. They've been, they've written good movies, right? Right, with other people usually. <laughs> yeah, but that's all right. Um, yeah, so uh, so that's basically all we've got right now. I'm sure yeah. uh, you know you're always welcome to uh, to chime in and and uh, let us know you know something that we may have missed. Just have the right attitude about it. <laughs> um, so battleship pretension at hotmail dot com. And I'm sorry for the 20 minutes of p- political talk, only because I'm sure if people listen to any other podcasts, right. every podcast they listen to this week has started off with 20 minutes of political talk. Right. But I bet this is the only place where they thought of that, where they heard that Crimson Tide thing. Yeah, All damn right. straight. Um, but uh, and the website is it's up and it's it's up, running, and finished now. So you can find. A lot of st- it's better organized, and uh, you can find a lot of stuff on there now. There is now it's a obsessively way compartmentalized. Obsessively, David. Thank you. That's the <laughs> right word. Um, I <laughs> there is, you know, before you could listen to like the most recent five episodes uh-huh. straight from the website. You can now listen to every episode straight from the <laughs> website. So, uh, yeah, that took a long time, but that's all right. Because because uh, that's what we do. We're we're committed to making your guys' life easier. So um, so yeah, battleshipretention dot com. Um, the donate button not going anywhere. So uh, utilize yeah, that. And uh, yeah, and we'll get you next time. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.